All right, another week, another Backlash podcast, and this week we're going to talk to Steve Herbeck, Herbie, and we're going to talk about edges, because um, if you listen to our 100th episode, we kind of mentioned talking to him about edges, and he thought that was a good topic, so we're going to kind of go uh, off the rails on edges today, and that'll be it for Herbie. He's going to tie the record, I believe. I think this is his third solo episode, and he probably actually beats out Jordan Weeks by a little bit because he had a nice little part in the 100th episode. So uh, there's your new front runner to beat is Herbeck. He's winning. And I have a co-host, as usual, Brad Hoppy with Muskie Mayhem Tackle. If you want to learn about Muskie Mayhem Tackle, go to muskymayhemtackle.com. Mr. Hoppy, it's been a little while since we've uh, since we've talked. How are you doing today? I'm doing good, Jeff. I appreciate being on and uh, looking forward to this one. You know, Herbie's always got a ton of information and he really, truly thinks outside the box. So it should be an exciting episode. Absolutely. Isn't every episode exciting, Brad? Aren't they all so awesome? (laughs) They are fun. (laughs) I actually truly enjoy doing this. Absolutely. I enjoy it more in the off season-ish I guess I would say when we have a little bit more time and we're not so under the gun and we're not podcasting at midnight I like that a little bit more than I like I'm I'm almost sort of dreading this coming up here pretty soon because let's see here so it's early middle March we're middle March we got like another uh, month and a half before the southern Wisconsin guys get kicking off like we've we've talked about I think last episode you know our Illinois Ohio Pennsylvania Tennessee Kentucky most of them they're all out fishing. I'm assuming all that stuff's free and clear ice and good to go. But uh, the next up would probably be the Wisconsin, southern Wisconsin would be the season that's going to open. And like I said, Brad, that's only a month and a half away. So we literally only have another six or seven episodes before we're back kind of in the grind. Not so much for you, but I do do a little fishing in the early part of the season. And like I said, it's it adds another dimension of fun, I guess, to this whole thing. Yeah, for sure. I mean, we <laughs> there's times when we're burning the midnight oil, right? But uh, I don't know. That kind of makes it fun sometimes, too. I, I know that there's more pressure on you with uh, the edit process. So I realize that your job isn't done when we're done recording, where mine kind of is. So right. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like when you know we finish recording an episode at you know 1 in the morning on a Tuesday and it needs to get out by Wednesday and I got to go wire stuff all day on Tuesday. Yeah, that kind of fun, right? <laughs> that's the fun I'm talking about, <laughs> but I greatly appreciate it. I know a bunch of listeners do as well, Jeff. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the big part of it. Well, and I thank everybody for listening and I thank you for coming out and hanging out with me every week and talking fishing as, as we talk about every week on our show, uh, we thank our guests always for coming out too. It's, we can't do it without them. Cause if not, it'd just be me, be me and Brad talking stupid and Nobody wants to listen to that for, I don't know, however many episodes we've been doing this, 103, 104, something like that. Yeah. You know, the neat thing about it too, Jeff, is that uh, they don't have to listen to just us, I guess. You know, we get some pretty good guests on here as well, and that's a huge part of the show as well. Absolutely. So, Team Rhino Outdoors related, this is what would have been our last show of the season. We would have been getting ready to set up in Wausau tomorrow if you're listening on Wednesday. If you're one of those people that like to get get the uh, freshest information on Wednesday when this comes out, we'd be setting up in Wausau tomorrow, but we're not going to be because of the amount of time and effort it takes to do one show. We just felt it wasn't worth it. There still is a show going on in Wausau for, for uh, what it's worth, 
Anyways, we're offering free shipping again on our website. This is it for the year. We will not offer any more free shipping deals during 2021. If you want to get involved in free shipping on our website, use the code LASTCALL, all one word, L-A-S-T-C-A-L-L. Like I said, this is it. No more sales, no more free shipping. I shouldn't say no more sales. We typically do a Black Friday sale, and that'll be... That'll be in November, but we do nothing else during the course of the season. We will offer no more free shipping deals this 2021, so this is your last chance. I think I made that clear. So there you go. If you want some free shipping, save yourself a little money before the season gets rolling. If you want just you know two, three baits or whatever, and you don't want to pay the shipping deal on it, not that we charge an outrageous fee anyways. Five bucks is all it usually costs, but yeah, still save you five bucks. So you can go check out our website www.teamrhinooutdoors.com and use the code L-A-S-T-C-A-L-L, last call at checkout. And this sale runs Friday the 19th, Saturday the 20th, and Sunday the 21st. It expires on midnight on the 21st of March. So there you have it. Brad, you guys got anything going on over there at Muskie Mayhem Tackle, or are you pretty much done for show season now? Well, we're pretty much done for the show season at this point, Jeff. Um, you know, for the most part, it's it's the daily grind of uh, putting orders out the door, and it's that time of the year where a lot of the box stores were pretty much through the majority of that anyway. But uh, you know, some of the smaller shops really start to turn on at this time of the year as well. So we're plenty busy. We got things rolling. Um, I guess the one announcement that I could make is coming up this next monday we will be releasing i think it's number four already pro staff profile to our youtube channel and that will be bob benson so check that out if you haven't watched any of the pro staff profiles go to our youtube channel and check it out otherwise just check us out on both our website muscamamtackle.com as well as instagram and facebook yeah speaking of busy brad uh brad and carrie recently sent me some stuff so we're, I'd say, decently loaded on triggers and detonators. I just had to place another order with them already because the trigger is hot. The detonator is hot as well. I'd say they're uh, they're they're equally scorching almost as far as sales are concerned. But anyway, so hopefully soon we should be restocked on all colors. And but for now, we just recently got some stuff in from them. Supernatural big baits. We've gotten restocked on them, and I don't know exactly when they're going to go up, but we got. A very limited run of 12-inch jointed baits from Supernatural. We got our two two colors that we got to select. It's a one-time run deal. I think uh, 20 baits total. So once those are gone, they're gone. And who knows when we'll get more. Uh, I'm trying to think what else did we get in recently. Musky Train, Diesels. Uh, we got some Lungeon Lures, the Chubbies. Hopefully they're still available when you hear this. They've been going pretty good. Just lots and lots of stuff. I and mean, we continue to order and order and order. New colors from Slammer Tackle, too, is another one that we got. We got... Uh, I think five new colors we'll probably work on a few more yet that's just what we do we, we sell stuff and and buy stuff we don't really ever take money from this we just keep buying and selling it's kind of this nice little vicious circle it's fun <laughs> no that's, that's the beauty of this industry jeff i think uh there's a lot of misconception out there and how this works but that's how it works it's a big vicious circle you hit it on the head mm-hmm are you struggling right now, Jeff, to get shipments in? I mean, I, I'm hearing all different kinds of stuff about electronics being such a struggle. Um, some of our pro staffers have reached out to me and saying, hey, I can't get any electronics. I can't get a trolling motor. Um, it, it's pretty wild to think about. But, uh, 
it sounds like if you have a new boat or you're trying to rig an older boat, whatever you might be doing, it sounds like it could be a struggle. I've heard those same struggles. And we do in some instances have some issues right now where the the company we use to get our hoodies and stuff like that, it's the same company that you guys use. And they've been back ordered on, I think it's gray and green and a bunch of other colors forever. Hopefully they're supposed to get them in now so we can finally start getting some clothing back in stock. That would be cool because... We've sold a few, a few hoodies, and you know, we have a couple of fans that want to buy our, some of our apparel, which we're extremely thankful for. And so hopefully we'll get that stuff reloaded. But And then there's been, yeah, Brad, there's some manufacturers that have been a little bit slow on delivery. So, I, I mean, it's one of those things where if you're looking for something and it's in stock, it's best to buy it now instead of waiting for all sorts. You know, if you have an entire wish list and you hope that that all comes in stock, it's Maybe not going to line up this year. We'll see what happens. I mean, we're doing our best, and we're ordering in as large a numbers as we can possibly afford to order in, which is substantially more than we've ordered in before. But, uh, you know, we can't guarantee anything. I know, um, you know, we've just recently also, one of, one of the things I missed was Squircles. We finally have those in stock, and as far as those are concerned, we might not have those for a little while. Baby bodies are out of stock now, so... It's uh yeah, Brad. It's gonna be a struggle a little bit in certain instances. I've heard guys struggling with hooks. I don't know if that's an issue for you guys or not, but I've heard hooks can be a problem too this year. Yeah, I, I've heard that same thing. I know that there's been a few people reaching out saying, "Hey, you know, can you help us with certain size hooks?" It's it's definitely certain sizes, Jeff. I don't know. I, it's interesting. And the other one is reels. I've heard that reels have been just a a real tough one to get. So. If you see your favorite reel and you're thinking about buying one, I would definitely pull the trigger on it from what I'm hearing. Yeah. Well, right now I don't have any reels, Brad. I gave all mine away to Keith from uh, Esox Reel Repair. I gave them all the way to him. So I think I have one. So hopefully that box doesn't get lost in shipping because if he does, I'm in big trouble because it sounds like <laughs> I'm not going to be able to go get some more to replace them. Yeah, that's what it's looking like. And it, I don't know. I, I know Shimano is stretched way out, which... It's totally amazing to think about, but I think the upswing in the fishing world over the past year and everything else that's been going on, I think it's just uh, snowballing. Yeah, I think it's it's weird. I thought I actually thought we'd see these issues last year. I, I thought they'd rear their head, you know, sooner, but it appears as though it was a little bit delayed. Maybe it's because they usually see a slowdown more in the winter time, and they can do some catch up. But yeah, it's been it's been interesting. It will continue to be interesting throughout the course of the year. I'm assuming. It's great to see lots of people getting out, enjoying the outdoors, and that's, you know, super cool, and I, I hope lots of people take pictures and have a great time, you know, chasing muskies and chasing big fish, and hopefully you listen to this podcast and it can help you put an extra fish or two in the boat this year. That would be cool as well. So, Brad, enough uh, you and me talking, public service announcements. I think we've rambled long enough. We're going to uh, go talk to Herbie and, and talk about some edges. All right, our guest today is none other than Steve Herbeck. Steve is, uh, if you want to know more about Steve, you want to know about his background, go check out episode 58, I believe. That'd be the one. If you want to hear Steve talk about fall muskies, you can go visit episode number 75. And if you want to hear Steve talk about his thoughts on bulldogs, you can go back just a couple episodes to episode 100, which brings us to today. The reason we brought Steve back on today is because of episode 100. So during that conversation, somebody brought up edges and of course with that episode we were only limiting our conversations to 15 to 25 minutes at the most or whatever it was and so steve 
we're going to talk about edges today. Thank you for making time out of your schedule again to come back on. You've officially tied the record for most individual episodes at three. So that's quite the accomplishment. Oh, man. I love it, man. It makes, you know, this winter has been slow. This, you guys make my whole winter just keeping me all fired up. Well, that's uh, that's disappointing on your end. Hopefully you had more excitement than talking to us all winter long, I hope. <laughs> well, you don't know how excited I get talking about you. I do, and that's the, that's the other great thing about having you on is it's awesome because you know I I really get a kick out of you know these these guys that have a lot of experience but yet they're so passionate about the sport and they just want to talk about muskies and it's awesome you know we get a lot of experienced anglers on this on this podcast and it's really great we love having you guys on as guests and you know I'm sure this is going to be a great episode so you know for the most part why don't we just let you you roll on your thoughts on edges and then Brad and I'll jump in and we'll kind of leave this podcast to uh to you. I know Brad's got a bunch of notes. He he's the one that's prepared for this episode. I wasn't. So we'll kind of we'll kind of let you just start rolling on your thoughts. All right. Did you want to start with anything Brad? You just want me to go what I kind of got off the top of my head. Well, honestly, Herbie, you know, I mean, when you said that during that podcast, it really kind of just got me a little bit spun because you know i think a lot of times as anglers we've kind of forget things that we shouldn't forget you know the paying attention to the little details makes the difference but when you said edges and i started thinking about all the different kinds of edges that there could be you know and that could be from vertical edges to horizontal type edges um your weed edges inside and outside i mean it just goes all over the planet so i'm really anxious to see where your mind takes us and then I'll just throw some questions out periodically. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, you know, first of all, I mean, you get right down to bat, you know, brass nuts and bolts and the basics of everything. If you really think about things, you know, if you really find the edges and look for edges, you ultimately are going to find fish. It's that simple. It really is. Now, how many different types there are, that's not so simple. But that's a basic fact. Life was on a, on a predatory and a prey level all revolved around movements and ambushing and, and more efficient feeding and everything along edges. It's just nature's way. Okay? And and if you and if you take you know into consideration the whole environment, just not what is really apparent like your obvious weed edges and rock bars and, and stuff like that, and the weather and all of those components together, it's amazing how you can really fine-tune where to throw those baits or where to throw those baits or however, whatever presentation uh, fits that particular edge that you're concentrating on. Because the bottom line of it is it's just simply focus, okay? It's focus and concentrate food and the travel of it it's simple as that it makes it makes ambushes so much easier for the predator and it gives the prey an edge that they, they travel along or they bunch up in, into and stuff and it's just the way nature works and like we talked before it's a lot like hunting you know what i mean yeah there's some species way out west or in the, the deserts and stuff that really live out in the open but for the most part Everything revolves around edges, even in hunting. And that's what we are doing. We're hunting as well as the muskies are hunting. So the edges is the way everything works. You know, like we talked about before, you know, like 
the rock bars, you know, the, the breakdown, um, in a, in a kind of a more of a vertical, but somewhat horizontal fashion, you know, and the transition at the bottom of them, uh, from rock to hard bottom, those, those are all edges that are very well known and very apparent. Although I'm not so sure that many people all the time think about the edges down deep where the rock bar actually turns in, into mud. And we're not talking about what we'll talk about later, the big, uh, hard, soft bottom, um, or semi hard to really loose bottom edges out in the middle of the basin. This is, you know, I just see so many people, they fish the top of the rocks and as it comes, the bait comes off the rock. Very few people work down to, to that, that transition area at the bottom. And more and more and more studies all the time. And I've been trying to do this and concentrate on doing it myself, using a bait whenever I can that I can count down along with traditional baits that, uh, that cover the tops and stuff. Because it's just more and more studies are showing that in these high-pressure waters and stuff, you know, particularly, you know, your more crystal-based uh, type of plagic fish fisheries, that a lot of these fish are dropping off at daylight to deep water. And and the, the, the closest place to deep water is that transition edge. And, and it's, a, it's an area that's really overlooked except for a lot of people in the fall. And it can be looked at any time after, after spawning. You know what I'm saying? You know, those are very easy ones to figure out. You know, uh, and it's stuff that people search out and look at and have all, all the time. You know, and obvious, very obvious ones where you can just about kill yourself, a rock wall. That's an obvious edge. You know, and no more and more people are fishing rock walls these days and stuff like that. But, those are, when you get into any narrow area, the rock wall is, is the highway. Or any any rock wall from, a uh, say, a big, big weedy bay or uh, out into deep water, a, a, rock bar, a rock wall that comes off of that and then turns and goes down the shoreline and you got the basement out there. That's an unbelievable edge and, and, and highway that, that uh, fish use. Um, let's see. Let me keep thinking here. Um, oh, an obvious one. The one that usually, that by musky fishermen, usually isn't uh, um, really taken advantage of by a lot of people is the thermocline or lack of it. I know you play around with thermoclines and where they are, not only for what the fish are, but for so you know when to stop fishing too deep and stuff like that. But that is an absolute edge, okay? That's an absolute edge when it's formed up that what I do a lot when it's not too deep, and I usually do it when it's deep, but if I can find a thermocline or even the start of it, when I do that stuff that's out off the traditional stuff, the weed lines and, and the weeds and the stuff, shallow rocks and stuff like that, when I get out and start running in the middle of the lake and I start getting the reefs and the humps and stuff and it's the prime tourist time and everybody's really hitting the traditional Canadian stuff. I first start, and I follow it through the season, through the summer season. I look for bars that that are just slightly above the tops of them, are the ones that are submerged now, and, I, and I'll fish higher ones, the ones that are sticking out, and the fingers off of them too. But I really get excited 
when I fish the ones that are set up to be just a slightly bit above or even a slightly bit a bit below the thermocline level. And those are some of the bars that you come up on that fish haven't been being fished. They're there to eat. They're very seldom there just to rest. They're there to do something. You know what I mean? So the, the thermocline and or and as I said, or lack of it makes a big a big difference because a lot of times when a lake that will not stratify usually is well and let's just not usually but let's just get to lakes that i know don't firm a client like say real green real green lakes that turn real green in july and august and they're really really dark lakes a lot of them will never firm a client and another even the thing that makes a, 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 an absolute edge is some of these below a certain level at certain times of year don't even have oxygen okay because they just can't support it down a lot of times it's 18 feet seems to be a level so when that happens on those lakes that is definitely an absolute edge that you can't get a more uh, definite one you know what I'm saying because they just can't even go below it so those are all types of edges that you can concentrate on um, current one that, that, that I really use a lot in Canada and I mean, you know, like on Lake Park, Lake of the Woods, you've got regular current areas. And, and I mean, it flows back and forth through them just about all the time, you know, all year. There's times during certain moons and certain times of the year where it's even stronger. But, but on places like the northern Wisconsin lakes and the big lakes down here and, and then up in Canada, most of the current that I would be fishing that isn't river uh, flow related is brought on by wind, you know, and, um, and one thing, you know, we're always, and I've even preached this years ago in my seminars because I caught so many big fish on wind blown rocks and points and stuff. And man, when the wind is crashing onto a certain spot, man, you can tell right where the fish are set up and what a way to get a big aggressive fish. And there's, you know, a lot of truth to that. But then as I really started thinking and evaluating more and more, I started seeing why that spot was so good. And it's usually because there's an obstruction below it or above it that's breaking the current to some degree. And that fish is actually sitting on a current edge. And when you've got a big wind just pounding into points and shorelines and stuff like that, and you see coming down the shoreline from there, a big white suds line. That is a current line right there. And once I start really concentrating, looking for those suds lines on really windy days, and especially when the wind is blowing more, really hard, more than two or three days, those signals, they're just like stop signs to me when I see them suds coming off of a point or along a wall or something like that, or down a shoreline where a point, a rock bar stuck out or something. Those spots concentrate fish. And, and I'll tell you another thing. You hear about packs of fish. And usually, if you really think back and really watch it, most of the time, when I've encountered packs of fish, it's been because, even though you couldn't see it, there was an actual eddy there. Of some type, directed, usually, usually um, uh, made by wind-driven current or maybe not wind-driven. 
but Windsor, but but current. And and I as I started looking back on things and thinking about things, it just seemed to me that 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 was a very common denominator where places where I found packs of fish. Now there may be a rock bar that's under the water that you're fishing, and it doesn't appear to you, but the way that wind is pushing that current and hits that rock bar, even though the, if the rock bar is out of the water, even more so, but even if it's underwater and it, there's another point that sticks out off, off of it, an eddy is created underwater. And, and another thing, you know, fish will, when the wind is making those current edges, they will, and it's been more than two or three days, they almost always lay on the downwind side. And because it forms like a, a, you know, like a little shelter or an eddy, and you know, so these things, these are kind of things that you have to, you know, you watch, keep your mind open while you're fishing, and not just you're not just going through a casting exercise and a fish bite. You had a great day, but you're actually thinking as you're moving through things and watching things and looking at things, and and that's where these kind of things start becoming more apparent to you. Jeez, I'm getting so worked up here. Can you slow me down a little bit, Brad? <laughs> well, the, <laughs> okay. the beauty of but it. Any, but one <laughs> thing about these types of areas that I'm talking about, and, and narrow areas, obviously, anytime wind is, is blowing through a narrow area, anytime wind is blowing through a narrow area, you're going to have currents. Smart fishermen pick up on that right away. And then and we realize that there's a less aggressive, type of that uh, current coming back once the wind switches or lays down. But I haven't found that on these type of wind current areas that are what I call more of a sliding uh, type of wind. Um, they don't, once, once that effect of cover and kind of being, being able to relax in an ambush state rather than fighting uh, a current or wind, those don't, those don't seem to have that back effect. You know what I mean? It's just when the wind is really moving that stuff down. Those fish then, after that wind lays down and that current lays down, those fish seem to scatter. Whereas in a narrow type of situation, it seems like you can still prolong it. The maybe fish may set up a little bit different, but the, when the wind when the wind lays down, the currents. Uh, the water comes back because it puts so much water. Uh, it's not near as, as much as when it was created. But and anyway, all these areas, you know, all these types of areas, they're definitely how good they are and how long, how good they produce for you and how often they are, um, how, how long it holds up and everything. It's really related to how long that wind has set up you know, and how long, um, you know, how long the, the effects of it were there. And the, the longer that wind sets up and it's hard and, and, and pushing, the more fish are going to bunch up in areas like that. And uh, not only just one fish, I've seen numbers of fish right down a shoreline off of a point, you know, 50 to 100 yards down from a point that had a big, Big, big current hitting the tip of it, and and uh, big sub line, sub line coming down, and we just basically fished it on and off 
four or five times uh, and, and caught half a dozen fish. You know, so I've seen that happen before. So, oh, something that I like that kind of really intrigues me that I've been playing with in the last year or two is what I call the edge of darkness. And it's especially something in clear water. Not so much in, in the clear waters, clear waters and those clear type of waters, stained waters that they got that tint to them, but they're still pretty clear. This And, and I'm sure I don't get to fish enough really, really dirty water. What I call, what basically what I'm calling the edge of darkness is where actually really easy visibility to the fish, not so much to you, not any, not so much these tests of what the discs and all that. That has some bearing, I guess, but I, I don't know if that really is any way to judge where it is. But you'll, you'll see things happening at certain levels when sun's at certain intensities and stuff like that. And if you can figure that out, if you can figure out that level, that, in, that, that, that edge of where light starts turning into darkness and baits aren't very easily seen is an unbelievable ambush edge that big muskies use. I'm convinced of it. Okay? And, and at the same time, that goes even into effect into these kind of lakes at night. I, I, when I used to fish a lot after dark, I mean, almost every night from mid-June to mid-September, you know, back in the old days, the edges of, of where dock lights, not in the lights, on the edges of the lights where it started to turn dark again. That's where we kept our fish. So fish use light and dark, I think, as an ambush edge also. Warm and cold water. Warm and cold water is another You know, um, there's current, you know, when you sometimes you come up into a, you come up off of a point and all of a sudden you go, wow, what? You know, instead of running, running into shallow bays and looking for warmer water and stuff like that. And I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where all of a sudden you're coming into a different part of the lake and you come off of a point and all of a sudden, wow, it's two to three degrees different. That's a very subtle type of a wall, that warm and cold water. It can be natural, or, you know, sometimes it can even be man-made, like places where there's, when they're generating electricity and, and stuff like that, and they got a lot more water discharges, you know, too. Those edges of where it turns warm to cold, I mean, I used to fish one on Monona years ago, and that's where they all were. All the biggest fish were always, you know, uh, on that edge of warm and cold water, just patrolling in and out, you know, and uh, so you know, there's another edge that you know people just think, oh, it's just the warm water and the cold water. But watch where, if you can find out with your temperature probe here and there, where the warm water and the cold water, you know, usually ends. And you can do the same thing on a natural lake to a much broader degree, because I've seen on certain parts of the lake where one day. And it's just a it's just a barely barely a narrow short narrow separates the that section of the lake from the other, and one section of the lake was four or five degrees colder than the other. And for whatever uh, I was looking for, whether it be a little cooler water for more staging fish or or vice versa, um, it was it was an indication of, of that wasn't always a big deal, but it gave me something to look for 
and a positive reason to look there, you know? Jeez, I got so much that I thought about when I was going to bed last night. Can I interject? Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a couple different things. I think there's a bunch of things that I want to come back to because I think there's a bunch that we could go more in depth on. You know, I think one of the simplest edges that people always recognize what they think of is a weed edge, and that could be inside or out. But some things that come to mind when we were talking earlier, you know, when we first started this whole thing, um, thinking about, you know, the highways that you're talking about. Those highways, I'm learning, you know, every June I spend a ton of time in the open water trolling. And one of the things that I've really related to the last couple of years uh, I'm relating to it because the fish are relating to it. And I kind of started taking notice about two years ago was a sand to mud transition. So if, if I'm looking and I'm driving around and I notice that I'm on hard bottom sand and all of a sudden I see that mud line, well, guess what? <laughs> There's fish hanging off of that. I mean, they are literally, and if you can follow that transition. And they, and they could be 50 feet above it. It could be exactly, but they are relating right. to it. Right. Even they're not, they don't necessarily have to have their belly to it. They can be 50 feet above it if that's how deep it is. Hands down. Yeah, Hands that's down. crazy. That's crazy. That's, see, that's what, what, what I was talking about with you, you know, before that it's just how, why does it affect the fish that's swimming around, you know, 30 to 40, 50, 60, 70 feet above it, even? where obviously they can use it, like they use it a lot to fall right tight to it. You know what I mean? I do know what you mean. Uh, You know, one of the things that comes to mind, this kind of off topic, maybe a little bit, but honestly, it it kind of relates in in accordance to what we're just talking about. If you watch some of the migration of some of our waterfall, they use the highways or the interstates as kind of a, a roadmap. I mean, that's their highway that they're using as well. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know. That's interesting. You know, the second part that we were, you know, you you touched on was clear water and how the fish are traveling from the, you know, the deep to the shallow and back and forth. And I've really taken notice with sight imaging in the last five years, whatever. It definitely has honed me in on seeing, especially I think with the zebra mussels cleaning up. Or I mean, I've always fished clear water, but now it's like ultra clear. What I'm seeing is, is I'm seeing a transition of these fish every day. They're hanging out in that 30 to 40 feet of water. And as the sun starts going down, they're sliding in. And I'm watching them actually make the movement. If I keep checking on them, I'm watching them go shallower and shallower and shallower until they actually go into that weed edge for the feeding at night. So those are two points that came to mind. Yeah, yeah. Uh, You know, I don't know if they always did it. We were just not there yet as far as understanding it or is it because of a combination of that and pressure maybe that's one of their uh, you know ways of, of getting away from pressure both but not only just fishing pressure but all the noise you know from boats and what have you you know who knows but uh, it's definitely something that I've seen and noticed and, and they go way deeper than I thought that they would you know even when the water's, you know, just warming up in the spring, even, you know, the, the bigger fish seem to move out, come back in and stuff like that. But, you know, and then, and then you know, too, that, you know, like, look at what the guys key on, 
out on Lake St. Clair, that, that, that dirty water, clear water line. You know what I mean? And the fish are definitely, the fish and the baits are definitely using, you know, those edges of the clear, dirty water. You know what I'm saying? No, that, that's something that, you don't, you don't, out there, you don't have to tell anybody to look for it. That's the first thing they look for, you know? I don't know if you've been out there, Herbie. I've never been out there yet. Um, I've been invited by all the boys out in December, but by the time I get off in November, I'm about had it by get good in a tree, you know? I get it. I get it. I'm, I understand that completely. I, I do see, though. Thing, uh, and then to a higher, greater degree is uh, when you got big rains and storms and you got creeks coming in or you got water coming off of, of clay banks or versus rock banks, you can have, you know, distinct mud, mud line and, and clear water lines. And I know guys who concentrate on them when that, when that uh, happens, like up on Wabagoon and places that I'm sure they use it down south a lot, but, you know, some lakes where that can happen, that can be a definite edge to look for, you know? So, you know, one so, of the things that I, I was kind of doing, Herbie, was, I mean, there's so many different things to talk about. I mean, another one that you touched on was light. And I, the funny part about light is that can go two different directions. I mean, if you're night fishing and you're looking, you can actually look for some light pollution or, or maybe, you know, what I'm talking about when I say pollution, I'm talking about lights off a shoreline. Um, right. And not only that, but maybe a sliver of a moon shining into the water. And yep. you have a tree line or something that can shade some of that moonlight. I definitely agree with you on that. I, I truly believe that they are use, utilizing that as well. Oh, yeah. When I see light, you know, on a, on, right on a dock, a br- real bright light, you know, them fish might be up in there. But it seems the strikes occur, like, whereabouts you would imagine that the edge of the light would be in the water. You know what I'm saying? the real bright light of it, you know, shining, you know? I don't know. I don't know where we go right now. Um, I mean, there's just so many details to this whole thing. Um, Yeah. What's what's your number one edge that you think that you're finding right now, Herbie? Well, I mean, everything you fish just about is an edge that's classic. You know what I'm saying? But as far as, Stuff like that, what we're talking about, stuff that, you know, doesn't really get visually seen by, especially, you know, our anglers that are just getting into it and, and uh, you know, or, or just haven't had the, because time on the water teaches you these things if you have your mind open and like guys like us have had the, the, the luxury of learning more because we're on the water more. So if some of these guys are just on the water for a weekend or here or there. They sometimes these kind of things get by them. But I'll tell you honestly, the the thermal client has, has done magic for me and gave me spots to fish that a lot of people weren't fishing. It, but it's also no one no one when to be there. You got to carry a thermometer for you. you. Can't always see it on your locator, you know, stuff like that. But that that always gave me a big edge. <laughs> on an edge <laughs> so uh, <laughs> so and then the other one was the one I talked about especially after the wind really blows for a day or two once you get past that 
and or you have a day when the wind is really blowing, the front is coming in, and them fish are up on them trash and rocks, these points and and long long them and stuff like that. But then the the storm comes in, finally comes in, and and then it it breaks and leaves and it goes northeast, swings north, you know. Um, the next day, it's high skies, it's cold, the wind is blowing, and a lot of people will, and I've seen it, fish the same spots that fish were flying off of the day before all day. And and one of those persons has been me. <laughs> okay? And not until that I slipped out of the direct wind into that sliding type of current off of the tip or edges of any of uh, islands and points did I finally, finally start making contact with fish. And then if it lasts too long, the cold, then that even dissipates, and you got to start looking for any sheltered place that has that's totally out of the wind and warming up by any when the sun does come out. But though that, that, that suds line, looking for them suds lines, when the wind is really, really blowing, if the fish aren't where you're, think they should be because of the wind blowing onto a structure look where it's sliding sideways not blowing directly in and you'd be surprised how many fish you find using that stuff that's been that's been really a magic thing for both me and danny the last couple of years and uh us comparing notes on days you know we find all the fish in a situation like that not even and other guys are seeing one or two fish a day uh fishing the stuff that they were on sick of these the two days before that. You know what I mean? So yeah, those two those two are probably, you know, right off the top of my head, I mean, that I'm willing to just go right out and search out. You know what I'm saying? I do. I do. Well I think uh you know, the coolest part about this is it really amounts to detail, right? How detail oriented do you want to be? And I think yeah. if you, you expand your horizons and you start thinking about more in depth to what we're actually accomplishing on the water, and that's where it really starts to shine, in my opinion. I mean, I think as anglers, we have all have a tendency of overlooking the, the simplistic part of this. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, we got to make it. Every, everything that's being sold out there to make it appear that you need that stuff because it's so complicated. <laughs> right. <laughs> There's a lot of truth to that, right? Yeah. Just trying to think of something that I, that I might have missed here on some of these. Uh, oh, shade line. Jesus, huh? Shade line. There you go. I mean, shade lines. I mean, I mean, don't even go out early in the morning in the middle of the summer and unless you fish, you know, if you got high any high banks at all. That you know, if you get out, you can spend your morning in another hour in some places, and the same thing, uh, the same thing at uh, at night. You can start your evening an hour earlier, you know, um, by being on the right on the right shoreline. Even some that have an angle to them that aren't directly um, shielded by the sun, you know. And yeah, shade lines are very. If, if you've got you're fishing low light conditions and that's when the fish are biting and top water kind of stuff, especially 
shade lines are absolutely magic in July and August. It can be any time. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I would definitely always, a lot of times people just don't get that either. You know what I mean? Shade lines can really make a difference. One, one thing that comes to my mind too, Herbie, is, you know, if you're fishing current, meaning say a river, whatever that might be, I mean, some of our lakes have, you know, channels in them too. And a channel can definitely be an edge that, uh, that you should look at, but an edge that might be different and really strong current might just be a giant rock where that current is running over that rock, but there's an edge behind it where that fish might be hiding. It might be a down tree. I mean, there's so many different edges. Right. And, you know, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, up until last June, I didn't really fish much on rivers, you know, other than walleye fishing in the spring before I went to Canada, you know, and last summer because of the uh, border issues and stuff. In, in June, I, I fished uh, some rivers, and and I'm going to be fishing a lot more, you know, this year. But the, you know, how they how they you know how they use those current edges and rivers is really fun to learn how to read. And 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 like you said, there were many places that I wouldn't have known that there was a big rock under the surface or a big log unless I learned that. That's just not a current ripple in the water. That's that's a boiling up from water going over the top of something, and then fish lay right behind those types of things. You know, they aren't always out of the current, like everybody says. Now, the eddies and the current lines are are you know critical, especially when you have rising or higher water. You know what I mean? But one thing that I found is that it didn't have to be. I mean, even if when I was in tail races, I could be on the edge of a current, a uh, big streaming down current from the flow in 30 feet of water, and those fish would, co- would come out of that current edge on bucktail. You know, it didn't have to be up in the in tight to shore as long as there was a current edge. You know what I'm saying? So I'm learning, it was, I didn't bring that too much about rivers up because certainly there's guys that are way, way, way more expert at it than me, and I'm just learning, but um, I can just vision my excitement about learning that kind of stuff and the discovery every day and stuff like that to people taking what we have been talking about and using it on their favorite lakes or wherever they go. Because once you start realizing some of this stuff and and to look for it, it's uh, like new discoveries all the time. All pieces to the puzzle, right? The one thing, you know, that's talked about a lot is the sand to mud transition or the rock to sand transition. I think those are easier to find, but like, how do you go about finding those and what are you looking for on your electronics to find those transitions? Cause I'm assuming most of that you're using your electronics to find. Oh, there's, yeah, there's hardly any other way you could find it unless you're pretty old school and had a metal, a hard iron something down a rope that you could bang bottom with like they used to years ago. But uh, we're beyond that now. But yeah, you just, you, you know, your, 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 uh, your locator, any type of locator from flasher to, to graph to LCD, LCDs, they all show hard to soft bottoms amazingly well. And it depends on what palette you got it on, but you know, you'll, you'll go from, a bright red on the rock, a bright red on the rock, the orange, and as it turns to orange and 
and and that you're you're right at as it turns from a bright color and starts and starts getting to a lighter color, you found that edge. It's pretty easy to see actually. That that edge there too on, on that hard bottom edge and what Brad was talking about and you know, the fish relating to them not only just at that point of of uh connection between the two or or, or gradual, you know, connection between the two that can be way up to it and and why they relate to it way up and I just I don't understand unless you know, I do know that you can see when mayflies are hatching and 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 certain bait fish are migrating around the lake because what they basically do a lot of fish is if you've got a big basin it's basically a kind of a rotation around the basin according to the wind directions and and stuff like that and it just might be something as simple as that's just like a sidewalk to them, and they relate to something that they can relate to. I, I you know, I don't know, but they um, definitely, if you're going to be fishing open water, um, you're going to find if if you don't aren't paying attention to it and don't realize it, if you spend enough time out there trolling and free drifting and casting, if you like on the fish you catch, you'll find that edge because they're going to be along. You know, there's a lot of stuff that I, I notice in the open water that I can't relate. I mean, I have no idea why or what these fish are actually doing out there. And it's always dumbfounded me. And I've always asked a lot of different anglers that actually spend some time out in that open water. And they'll, we as anglers, we all relate. We all see it, but we don't understand it necessarily every time. And those are the, the anomalies that. I think kind of keep you going and wondering what is going on. You know what I mean? I I don't know. Maybe as electronics continue to grow, maybe we'll start seeing some of that. But I mean, literally, I am paying attention. I could be in 80 to 100 feet of water, and I'm catching fish out there consistently. What is it that's different there? You know, and maybe that's a current. Maybe there's a, a well, different... Well, uh, you're saying you're catching them out there, but many times you, you, there's definitely clusters of top of catches in certain areas and along certain areas, right? Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I was just gonna you were you were rambling along there pretty darn good, so I didn't want to inter- interrupt you, but uh that's uh kinda where I was gonna go. There's probably some type of a occurrence because I mean, I don't care if you're in freshwater streams or oceans. You know, currents seem to dictate migration of bait fish and the predators follow them, you know? Yeah, it's just, uh, it's really crazy because, I mean, I really, truly try to pay attention to the bottom content, right? And sometimes we can't physically see it per se. Um, I do know that there's something going on there, but I can't identify it at this point. So, I, okay, well, let's blame it on wind. You know, I think I think that's a valid point. What you said, you know, let's yeah. let's call it wind. Yeah. Well, you know, like I'm not, you know, like exactly like a, a biologist or something like that. Or, you know, I mean, I I uh, you know I notice things and I make note of them. You know, there's guys that are really actually intelligent anglers. Like you might take Larry Dahlberg or Dick Pearson and ask him some of these questions. Why, but for me, it doesn't really matter why. It's, 
because I know they're there. And, and the reason, you know, and the reason why they're there, but not the reason why they're actually there. You know what I mean? They're there because they are, and there is the rock to stand mud line, but then they'll find, all of a sudden, you'll find an area that there isn't a sand mud line. You know what I mean? And, and that, those are the ones that make you wonder, you know? It's usually, a lot of times that I found them, there is a hard bottom, a slightly harder bottom area versus just a soft bottom area out in the middle of nowhere. Have you seen that? Yes, absolutely. I see it all the time. And definitely is going to be a spot to fish. Yeah, yeah. Not even a raisin, not, not necessarily even a raisin in, uh, in elevation of the hard bottom. Just, it's just all of a sudden your graph is now more orange than it was yellow or, or more red than it was dull orange. You know what I mean? I, I, you know, I will agree with you 100%, Herbie. Don't argue with what the fish are doing. Um, if you're producing, why argue with it, right? I mean, make it work for you. Right. What I, what's kind of, what I kind of like to bring into this too is, is to put it out to the listeners. And some of them are probably better fishing than, than you and I thought it'd be in. <laughs> they just don't get to do it every day. Um, Absolutely. Is that we can, you know, like I don't have all kinds of things written down. This is stuff that's kind of flying off the top of my head. And as I hang up, I'll probably remember two or three more, but there'll be other times. I'll bring this out to the listeners that, you know, uh, I'll give you my contact numbers and, and, and emails and stuff like that when we get done here. Um, but if, if you, have some ideas along these lines that we've missed. Shoot them at me. I'd like to hear them. You know what I'm saying? Um, we're giving out a lot. Give us a little back if you got it. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, well, that's that's the beauty of musky fishing, right, Herbie? I mean, honestly, we can all learn something practically every day. You know, and and when you figured it all out, guess what? You probably are going to switch switch hobbies at that point. Yeah. Now, too, uh, if you, I was just going to bring up to the to the listeners too um, that uh, when we were talking about that sand and uh, to muck mid basin, you know, type of uh, edge and pattern there. One of the guys that I heard and kind of keyed in on that was using this was uh, Josh Savasky, and I just wanted the 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 uh, listeners to know that he and I will be doing a, a, a about a two-hour minimum seminar April 1st. It'll be a live seminar online, and uh, if you want to find out any details about it, um, you can get it off of Insider. We'll have details. Musky Insider will have some details on it, and uh, I'm sure that he will be talking about that particular edge because I know that those guys on the million really live by that out there during certain times of the year. So Herbie, as we move towards early season, are there any of these transitions that you're looking to use more? You know, early in the season, I think my prime focus, you know, if, if the spawn is over, you know, if I'm, and it depends on if I'm trying to catch a fish or if I'm trying to just look for a bigger fish because it's the prime time you know, obviously to get out over 
over open water. You look for that sand mud line and spend some time out there either uh, drift casting or, or uh, if you got a good wind or, or trolling, obviously. But, uh, you know, I think, you know, probably the, the biggest edge that you see uh, major differences in um, real early in the season are related uh, to sun and light and dark, darkness. Um, we want usually early in the season, you know, the, the warmer, warmer water uh, is, is really a major factor. And what I've seen early in the season, some of the hottest places on the bigger, deeper, clearer parts on Eagle had creeks coming in that were, had big dark water marshes way back up in. And the water coming out of there was sometimes 10 degrees warmer and and those edges where it blew out into the, the cooler water of the bay there um were would always would always hold some big fish um whereas you wouldn't even go near because there's only a couple foot of water three feet four feet of water and you know uh during the regular part of the season but in the early part of the season those edges you know were absolutely magnets for shallow uh you know just just post spawn or post spawn fish and even fish looking for feed because there would always be uh, suckers in and around those those mouths of those creeks also. So, I mean, I think temperature edges and 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 then also you know um, instead of, of usually in the spring I don't look for shade lines I look for the sun lines a little bit more op- opposite than when the water gets up in the early part of the season. I'm looking more for the sunny sides, you know, which are isn't exactly as much of an edge as a shade line, but um, it's converse to what we were talking about earlier. So I thought I'd bring it up. So yeah, Herbie, you know, seasonally, it's really interesting to me how some of these different edges work in different ways, right? So one of the things that, that I've really taken notice of, I mean, especially this past season, because I spent a lot more time in the open water than I normally would have. Um, as I said earlier, I mean, the month of June, I spent a lot of time open water trolling. And I think by doing that, it's given me some spots to fish throughout the season. So the month of June, as those fish are, you know, heading out to that deeper water and they're kind of relaxing after they've gone through the motions of spawning, I, I'm noticing, like I said earlier, that sand to mud transition was really a key. Now, as I got into July and August, I found that I could use that same sand and mud transition in the open water to locate fish and cast at them. And I found that pretty interesting. Um, so really, by rights, there was two edges that I was working because now we have a thermocline. You have to think about that. You don't want to catch fish that are too far down. And I'm definitely all about keeping a healthy fishery. So... I can fish off that edge of the thermocline on the edge of a sand to mud transition, and it definitely proved worthy this past season. Um, something I really hadn't done a ton of until about, well, last last July and August. I mean, that's that's when it really happened for me. As the, as the fall started now, we get into September, I noticed that those those fish might be still hanging on that sand to mud transition, but they didn't want anything to do with me. So then I'm starting to look back, um, the first initial cold fronts of the season, the end of August, beginning of September, I definitely seen the fish relate more to a different kind of edge. And that edge would be 
a cabbage line. And kind of a different thing to think about in this transition is we all think of weeds as a, an edge, right? I mean, there's an edge that we're talking about there. But one of the things that I did notice the last three or four years with the zebra mussels that we're seeing in some of the bodies of water that I'm fishing, our cabbage line used to go out to, say, 20 feet of water. Now we're seeing a weed edge that's out to 30, 32 feet of water, but it's not cabbage. And so guess what? Now you're dealing with coontail that's growing in that depth of water. There's a, an edge that I think that we haven't discussed yet, and that's two different kinds of weeds. So you have coontail and then the edge going into the cabbage edge. And it definitely played a factor in my fishing as well. So that's just something else that I was thinking of. Awesome, awesome point. I actually had had that on the back of my mind, but those are one of the dark spots that I missed there. So, yeah, and even, even when it doesn't go out to 30 feet, you know, I'm running still just your, your, your regular type of weed lines, you know, at somewhere between 8 and 14 feet. Usually around 10 to 13 is real common weed lines on, on lakes that have, you know, that aren't real dark. But, but uh, you know, uh, a lot of people don't look, you know, to, to fish that deeper, deeper, deeper grass and edge down there. It wouldn't be 30 feet, as like you were talking about, but it might be 15 to 18. And the, if it's a real aggressive fish, those fish will come flying up, no doubt, after blades and then top water anything but when they're not you need to have that bait very close to them the windows are the area that they'll move is much much smaller and and by just bringing your baits in at the same depth that you were able to clear the the weeds that you're fishing over um you should mix it up by slow rolling and getting your bait down or using the bait that 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 will you know, that you can count down a little bit, that you keep up, but you still count down a little bit after you come up, come off the edge because you're missing a lot of fish because only seldom are the fish the way we have dreams of them being. Their windows of high levels of activity are very short compared to when they're not. Yeah, I think, I think it's interesting. I, there's a specific body of water that I've fished many, many days over the past 20-some years, but it's it's crazy because you're fishing basically what I call like a carpet of sand grass. I mean, it's coming off the bottom. You might be in 28 feet of water, and the actual cabbage line isn't until about 15 feet of the water. But these fish are just hanging on what I call the carpet line of sand grass. And you definitely have to count down your baits. Even when you're throwing big rubber or something, you, you still have to count them down because a lot of times they're relating right to the top of that, that, uh, sand grass line. Yeah. So. Usually your forager on those areas isn't over and above it. It's in it. You know, that coontail isn't, you know, like cabbage and usually your perch and, and all that kind of stuff that use that coontail They're they're in it. You know, it's like I said, it's like a carpet and anything above it's pretty open to a musky cruise and looking for a meal. I would agree. No, that's that's valid point. One thing that that I just thought of, and that we both do, and that people don't realize, it's edge just like a current edge or a dark uh, clear water edge is when you're trolling is your pop wash. That is what is going on there. When you're fishing yep. 
and in your prop watch or the tail end of your of the, of your prop watch or the edges of your prop watch, that bait going in and out of there is it's just like a, uh, it's just exactly like a bait that's uh, going along a current current line or or a, or a current edge in a river or a lake. It's exactly what you 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 are actually creating the edge. That's that's interesting, Herbie. You're right. I mean, it makes perfect sense. That, that's yeah. that's kind of that's a unique part to. Uh, I guess I wouldn't have related that, but I, it definitely plays a factor. And you're right. I mean, it's a current edge, hands down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I guess we can even create them when we haven't got them. Yeah, maybe maybe a guy should do some hot laps around the lake and get some current going, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Big. I get a big flotilla and go round and round and round, make a big whirlpool. But, uh, <laughs> fish behind, fish behind a wake boat. That's what we're saying. Yeah, you never know, man. Well, Steve, I guess the episode was uh, about edges, and I think that was mission accomplished. So, for anglers that are looking to get in touch with you this year, whether it be to book a trip or talk musky fishing, because you've made it more than clear that you're willing to talk musky fishing, which is you know why we have you on the podcast, because you love coming on and talking with us, and we love having you. And you want to talk a little bit about where they can find you, and then why don't you talk a little about where they can find you for that online seminar that you briefly mentioned in the middle of the episode. I'm very easy to find. You just got to Facebook me and give me a message, or my phone number is 608 515 Three four one six. My email is my name Herbeck H E R B E C K dot C J at yahoo dot com. Um, yeah, I'm still booking some trips. So May and June is full, but uh, I got some scattered stuff left uh, July through uh, first week in November. I'd love to spend time with anybody that that uh, has a passion and heart in the sport and is willing to go for it with me and. And uh, so, yeah, um, as far as our online seminar, uh, that's with Josh Kravatsky. I'm going to be doing it April 1st. Um, you'll be able to get all the information you want off of Muskie Insider newsletter. You can just look that up and you'll be able, he'll have, he'll have stuff uh, posted on there as to dates and how to, how to sign up for it and all that kind of stuff. So, yeah, it should be a good time. You know, it'll be a fun time. I, First thing I've done with Josh, he just seems like a, a great guy, and I fished some mutual clients with that that fish with him, and man, sounds like he's a heck of an angler also. So uh, it'll be fun. Hopefully, I'll learn something too. Yeah, we're hoping to get Josh on for an episode here in the near future. I believe, if I'm not mistaken, kind of one of those deals where you know we talked to him for the hundredth episode, and he he brought some good stuff to the table, and obviously that wasn't the the platform to really get a ton of information out to people, and so. I think we're going to have to look up Josh in the near future as well. Well, Herbie, yeah. I want to just thank you again for coming out. It's always great to talk to you. I don't know if we'll talk to you before the start of the season or not. I guess it depends on if we come up with another topic and, you know, we want to get you back on. But, you know, once again, thanks a lot for coming out. And if we don't talk to you before the start of the season, I hope you have a great year. Yeah, take care, guys. It's always a pleasure. Absolutely. Thank you, Herbie. You bet.